The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Ohanami, our recommended game of the week, discuss expansions and budgets in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games from the op. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. What's happening, Doug? I'm excited. We've got a great recommended game of the week. I know we've been playing some games we want to talk to our listeners about. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I finished stickering Ever Everdell. As did I. Uh, and I didn't have this beard when I started. <laughs> that's, how, that's how long it took. It took a long time. You got to fill in the backstory there, man. So the Kickstarter for Ever- Everdell, the complete collection, complete uh, came in, and it is a monster box. And it had how many stickers? 300. 300 stickers. Yeah. They were little animal meeples with... Stickers for the front and backside. Yeah. So and they were tight stickers where like you had to line them up perfectly or you're going to have sticker hanging off the edge. And right. Any of our mathletes out there, 300, okay, there's 23 different critters. And then you've got to put stickers on both sides of them. And each of the critters have six in their set. Actually eight if you count eight, the rabbit eight, and the, fr- yeah, the other frog. Yeah, so that's where I was going. So yeah. there's... Just a metric ton of wooden meeple goodness in the box. Significant wow factor. Uh, my tree is still set up. I, I don't know if we're going to do a Christmas tree in the basement this year. We might just leave. I'm serious. Just do we might Everdell just tree. leave the Everdell tree <laughs> set up, and then that can be like the dolls, you know, a mm. uh, little uh, One that's got little, little ledges for you to yeah, put the gifts absolutely. on. Absolutely. You can put... Maybe put a copy of Everdell on top of the Everdell tree. <laughs> My fear is that I would go down one day and there would be other stickers on that tree. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've got uh, kids like that. Yes. That'll sticker things up. Our, we had a dining room chair that was stickered up yesterday. Wonderful. So I was like, why is there a cat sticker on here? But let's let's talk about that Everdell game. Is that not exceeded expectations? I mean, we've gone back was, and forth on the Kickstarters weight. and things like that. It there's a lot of games is, 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 is in that box. And here's the scary part for me is that there is part of me that I'm, I am very happy to have it, but there's also part of me that's like, I kind of just want the base game because I can't travel with that. You, it's only 20.3 pounds, Doug. I, <laughs> that, that would fit in most carry-on luggages. I don't think it will. It's well, it's pretty close. close. Get one of those hard <laughs> clamshells. Yeah. You're gonna, and then you're going to have some flight attendant jamming it into the no! to the overhead. Easy with that. That's the collector's edition of Everdell. <laughs> it's a complete collection. What have you been playing, Michael? Ooh, that's a great question. Let me just bring up my list. I wasn't ready for the hard transition there. I had, <laughs> We're not doing any smooth yeah, transitions. Tonight. I went on a bender. It was like a, a binge of Zombie Kids Evolution. All right. So this was a recommended game of the week way back when we brought our daughters on and talked about the show. You mm-hmm. remember that, Doug? That was a good episode. Vaguely. Well, now Margaret's sister, Eliza, 
decided that she was going to jump into the deep end of Zombie Kids Evolution, 10 toes in. I mean, we started ripping up envelopes and putting brains on the back of it. This is a game from La Scorpion Masquerade that I'll pull the exact episode where we talked about it in length, but about three hours worth of Zombie Kids Evolution since the last time you and I recorded. Uh, just incredible amount. Uh, how so many, that, how many envelopes are you opening on that? I think we got through four envelopes more that were opened. Um, you know, three plays in a day, four plays in a day, a lot of plays in a lot of days, just just in the past week. Um, and then, of course, if I'm playing board games with Eliza, what else am I playing, Doug? Sleeping Queens. Oh, you know No it. doubt. You know it. So those are the two for today. Were you looking um, for an episode number on that? Yeah, it? I was. What episode number was 44. That? Thank you. 44 was our recommended game of the week where we went over Zombie Kids. Great little game. And I, I think one of the critiques, if I recall, was, well, but what happens when you get done playing the game? I mean, there's so much game in that yeah. little box of $15, $20. We, we have played that game to the point where you go out and get another copy and start over. Um, the other game that I got to play from episode 55 is Happy City. So I'm mm. doing the board game club twice a month at my kiddos' middle school, soon to be your kiddos' middle school. And uh, there was only one one guy that showed up this week. You know, it was mostly Josie and a whole bunch of friends. And so he's kind of looking around the room. As like, in, you, you mean there was one male that well, showed yeah, up? Yeah, one, not, fo- one not fella. Not a single no, person. No, we, that... we had about a dozen folks in there, but there was he did the hard stop, the middle school hard stop, almost like he had walked into the wrong locker room. <laughs> like he came in and it was like, like he got hit uh, in the Matrix. So, you know, like the non, non-local in a bar is <laughs> yeah, what you're talking exactly. about. All right. And I said, hey, hey, Happy City's awesome. You want to play it? You know, just Rick flared him with enthusiasm, and uh, we had a great time. I, I, I probably should have let him win. He had 54 points in his first turn, which is awesome, but uh, I put up like a 72-pointer. Uh, I put up a big one. So Happy City just continues to get played in every setting, and it was a fun game. I saw the kiddo at basketball later that that day, and I asked him, hey, what did you think of that game? He's like, oh, I liked it. I played it again. So that's good praise for for uh, middle schooler, game, yeah, from Game Right. All right, how about you? Uh, well, we played uh, one of your favorite designers, a game by him called Blue Lagoon. Mm. The good Doctor Reiner Knizia. Um Is there any other designer? <laughs> no, he, he has a monopoly on every game except for Catan. I was on BG. Sorry to interrupt you here, but I was on BGG the other night, and I said, "Okay, Josie, my my oldest." I'm going to read a description. You tell me the designer's name. And I just read out the most classic Reiner Knizia description for a a ninja dice game that is not available in North America. (laughs) She's like, that's Reiner. Well, it'll be available in a different name (laughs) and different theme. It'll be about uh, traveling ice cream salesmen. So Blue Lagoon is a a two-phase game. The first phase you are putting out... um, either boats, huts, villages, or other explorers. And you're trying to kind of fill out this map. There's seven or eight islands on the on the map, and you're trying to kind of expand out to collect. There's different resources that score points, depending on if you get sets of them or a complete set of them, uh, whether you can chain islands together with all of your people, 
how many islands you actually made it to. Um, I think those are the big, and then there's also a majority of whoever yeah. has the most people on an island. So there's like three or four different scoring mechanisms going on at once. Then after, and so you score that. Then after the first round, everything leaves except for the the six villages the, that you placed. That you built, yeah. And now you can expand out and branch out from those um, villages. Where in the initial one, you only can start in water spaces, yeah, and then go on to land. Um, so it's a little bit of a like I said, two-part game. What'd you think of it? I think that game is recommendable. I, yeah. I, I do. I think it fits in a lot of settings. It's it's fun. I, I didn't do very well the, the first round, but then when I figured out, oh, that's what, what the scoring means by chaining together. Um, it's a game that I really want to play again. I've been thinking about the last few weeks since we played it. Yeah, it was um, one that it's, it's not going to be one that sits on the table that has a lot of hooting and hollering there's a lot no. of of very cerebral is yeah you're you're thinking about what move you want to do next and there's a there's a the feeling my original thought was jesus almost feels like a solitaire game oh i disagree in the fact that nobody's talking to each other yeah. everybody's just focusing on their own things however the interaction happens on the board it's yeah. almost like a chess it's type quite of a competitive thing where man. Somebody will put a piece down in a spot, and then you need to respond to it um, or, or choose to or not to respond yeah. to where that piece was placed. And so there are some moments where you're like, oh, don't box me out of there or that type of thing going on. So there is a, a good amount of interaction, but it is a very quiet game. Yeah, and there's math, yeah. as you would expect from the good doctor. Yeah, where of course. You know, somebody puts down a tile and you realize, oh, I cannot get to that destination that I thought I was going to get to. So then yeah. you have to be very tactical and move. Um, I have the description here that I quizzed my, my family on where I said, who is this designer? Now, don't say it with an accent, though. Well, I did. Well, then, uh, after, right. then yeah. you know if that tips the hat to everybody. Ninja Master 2022 for those keeping score at home and who have a Reiner shelf or a Reiner room, which mine is growing into. <laughs> Reiner room. Roll nine dice, comma, exchange ninja items, comma, and balance your offense and defense. Like, that doesn't sound like a game anyone wants to play. You, who's who's going to play that game? Where's the, yeah, there's nothing pulling me to what? the. No. There's no hook there. No, you're relying on a ninja? Fancy bow tie. <laughs> oh, yes. I want a balanced dice. I, I love ninjas. Sign Goodness. me up. So that's the, and I do have it in my want to trade and want to playlist now, just so <laughs> I can check it out. Anyways, back to you. Um, all right. A little follow up. We, we did play part of a, of a game. Um, called Founding Fathers. This one was mm -hmm. released quite a while ago, and it is about uh, creating the the Constitution, writing up the the Articles of, Correct. of, <laughs> of the Constitution. And you are uh, playing members of the Continental Congress, and uh, there's some... I'm not going to get too far into the weeds yeah. on, the, on the gameplay, but one of the things that it did have was we were talking last week that her story does something really great, which is the facts... Historical facts on the card, and yeah. and this game had that. There was a little biography, not a biography, but a little fact about each member of the Continental Congress on each card. Every player has their own card, or every member of the Congress has their own card, and it each one has a fact on it. And it was really interesting because then the powers of a lot of those characters 
relate to the the fact. Well, and their goals, right? Of what what they are trying to do, the characters in the game, and from a game schooling standpoint, the the amount of history that is in that little box is incredible. Yeah, yeah. and it was just interesting. There was one one card that I had gotten in the in the game, and the the game takes place over three rounds, and it says, you know, if this is the third round, you can play this card and it's worth like two or three points, which otherwise it's kind of useless. But then you read the fact of that, that character and what and they he, did, he was late to the convention. He yeah. missed everything, but was able, was there in time to sign it, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of funny that that ties into, uh, uh, it almost remind me, it had the kind of freedom, the underground railroad right. type of feel That's to it exactly with that. how it felt. Um, so that was something that I wanted to follow up with last week. Um, anything else you got? I've got a little bit of news, but... No, from games played, no. I don't have any follow-up either. All right. So some things kind of got recently announced I thought were interesting to share. Uh, Space Cowboys is going to be releasing a second Unlock Kids. Oh, interesting. Um, and I enjoyed the first one with with my daughters. They like that one. Uh, and this one allows players to travel through prehistory, ancient Egypt, and the U.S. Wild West. Mm. So I'm kind of interested to see how All they... All in the same day. Yeah, maybe. It's trekking through history. Uh, and then this one, which is really... I don't even know what to think about this. Uh, I thought I'd throw it out to you. I don't even know if you saw it, but it's... Talking no color? Have you heard about this? Yeah, keep talking. So this is a essentially a roll and write version of Takinoko. And Takinoko, have we talked about that on the podcast? That wasn't a recommended game, no. was it? Yeah, keep going. I'll, I'll check. Um, so Takinoko is a uh, a game about gar- a panda gardening, pandaing a gardener and a panda eating bamboo um, while he's trying to grow the the bamboo. And so you're building this whole garden out. So this is, and it's the same designer as Seven Wonders, Antoine Bauza. So in ta- Doug's all-time favorite, Takenoka, he's actually not, but <laughs> thank you for thinking that. Um, in Takenoko Color, you make your debut as a gardener. You must develop your bamboo grove, creating watering places and attract fish and ladybugs to make your garden a little piece of paradise, resplendent with color. But here's the interesting part. I think it's been out of print. I think that's one of the dozen on our list. Keep Each going. Each turn, one player throws four pencils, green, yellow, pink, and blue, then chooses one. The other players choose one of the remaining pencils in turn. Then all players simultaneously color on their sheet one bamboo section corresponding to the same color and to the same symbol as the pencil ring they chose. So there's like a circle, square, and a triangle. What's the thumbs down? No, keep going. <laughs> um so you're rolling these pencils across the table, and then what symbol and color comes up is what you fill on the, the chart. So I thought that was very fascinating um, experience. So that's what I've got for news this week. Oh, that's great. We have not covered Takenoko as a recommended game of the week. It has come up on a, at least one high five, but I think availability is what has kept it sure. out of that segment. Okay, so uh, last but not least, spread the word about the podcast. Um, if you like what we're doing, make sure you share that with your friends. Leave a review, five star, if you think we've earned it. And if you have any questions, reach out to us, contact us, uh, questions and comments, email at gameschooler.com. Again, email at gameschooler.com. Without further ado, let's head over to the recommended game of the week.
the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Ohanami by Stefan Bendorf. Doug, give us the stats. Michael's got a whole bunch of index cards over here like he's a game show host. <laughs> yeah, trying something a little new here. <laughs> All right, 2019, it was published. The designer is Stefan Bendorf. You might know him from such games as Quix or The Game. Um, the art is by Christian Operer. Two to four players, 20 minutes, ages eight and up. And the board game geek agrees. And the complexity is a 1.12 out of five. Right where I like it. Ohanami consists of a deck of 120 cards that are numbered from 1 to 120, with each card having one of four symbols on it. The game lasts three rounds, with players scoring at the end of each round, in addition to bonus scoring at the end of the game. At the start of a round, each player receives a hand of 10 cards. Each player chooses two cards, then passes the remaining cards to the left. All players reveal their cards at the same time and then decide what to use. Uh, you can use one, zero, one, or two of them. So you don't have to use the cards that you draft. And then you put but them you should. in your personal rows of cards. When you start a row, you can use any card. However, to add a card to an existing row, that card must be higher than the row's highest card or lower than the lowest one. A player can have at most three rows of cards and discard any cards you don't use. Players repeat this drafting, passing, and playing process until they have played 10 cards. The first round ends, and players now receive three points for each blue card in their rows. Players then receive a new hand of 10 cards to start round two, once again choosing two cards and passing the rest, but now to the right. Players continue building on the rows that they already have, scoring three points for each blue card, and now four points for each green card at the end of round two. Round three, players have 10 more cards, pass the cards to the left once again. At the end of this round, player again, players once again score their blue and green cards while also receiving seven points for each gray card in their rows. Additionally, each player scores for their pink cherry blossom cards with these cards having a pyramidal scoring structure. Uh, one card equals one point, two cards equals three, three cards equals six, etc. Whoever has the highest total score wins. So that is how the game plays, yep. and I wanted to be very specific on reading that so we were clear on how that structure works for those that might not be familiar. But I don't think there's very many gaps to fill in on, on that no, description. Yeah. Very well done on, on Board Game Geek. It is. If you're a new listener or a longtime listener, uh, when we get into this segment, we do usually take text right from Board Game Geek, and that text is usually posted directly from the publisher or yep. the designer. And Doug just explained how the game works. You're going to be able to take up to two cards, and you are trying to make a garden in which there cannot be any number gaps. So if I have a, a 77 and I put down an 80, and then the very next round of cards that get passed to me, a 78 comes up. Well, I cannot put it where I just had the 77 and the 80. I can start a new new garden if I have one of those three tracks available. And, and that single experience, exchange, encounter, 
the the guttural noises that happen at the table when somebody gets a card that just doesn't fit right. It is awesome, man. Yeah. This game is incredible. I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, and this was one that we had planned on talking about it, uh, and it was unavailable for a little right. bit, and so it is now available on Pandasaurus's website directly. The the main thing I love about this game is the first thing that popped into my head is it's like the tension yeah. of this game. And it's like there is this personal puzzle that you're working on and how big of a gap do I leave? You know, eventually you're like, well, I can't wait around forever. I'm going to close it off. And then like you said, the next, you know, and you might jump 10 cards. I might yep. say I've got a 50 and it's like, well, I'm putting the 60 in. And then the next the next hand, you get a card that's got a 52 and a 54 in it. And you're like, ugh, so frustrating. Yeah. Um, but trying to make that work and the, the concept of, you know, those blue cards score every round, um, but the gray cards are big points, yeah. you know, so trying to And then you might have a round it. where you've been collecting grays and you get to that third round. And you see cards for the last time and realize there are no more grays coming. Yeah. <laughs> I am stuck. Yeah. And and it plays so quickly. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome that I, I think the art is beautiful yeah. for how simple of a game this is. And I was looking uh, looking it up and there is different artwork for each color uh, with different art as uh, like 12 per suit. So there are 12 different pieces of artwork for each suit. Oh, cool. So some of those are repeated, but the fact that they did that and created 48 unique pieces of art for this yeah. game is really commendable when most publishers would just put... Four or five. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> really, this is, this is a gray it. card, yeah. and so it has this artwork on yeah, it. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I think that is one of the initial factors that really drew my family to the table with this game. You take the 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 visual appeal, the aesthetic, and then the the extremely simple rule set. Yeah, and that's a reason that this game gets brought out when we have people who don't play a lot of games. I don't like to say non gamers. I'm trying yeah. to get away from that term. But when we have folks in our house who, who may not <laughs> there you go who may not have played as many games as some of our other friends. Yeah, this is a game that my wife will bring to the table and say. Oh, have you tried Oanami? And then all of a sudden, we're off and running and playing. Um, it, it's just such a good game for so many different settings. Yeah, you know what really struck me? Well, I was thinking about this. What struck me is that for a drafting game, and I, I think this is the only drafting, like pass and pick type of drafting game that I can think of that you can play right out of the gate because it doesn't have combos or chains or... The, you know, I even think of something as simple as Sushi Go. Every drafting game that I've ever played with people and they're playing it for the first time, it's like, how valuable is this card? Should I take this card? Uh, you know, what? Well, and, 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 and they're decoding of, the words on the cards too. You know, and, and Oanami doesn't have text. No, and you think about Sushi Go, it's like, okay, so if I take this Nigiri now yep. or this Wasabi, how does that work? Like, there's all these little things that you need to learn. And this one, it's like, Blue, every blue card scores three points every round. Every yeah. green card scores four points on the second and third round. You know, and you get through that, and then it's like, now let's play. There's no, should I go after this yeah. or whatever? And I think that's a really unique thing that doesn't happen in a lot of drafting games. What you just touched on is what makes this game stand apart, though. 
yeah. to me that that this game is in its own lane. I, I don't, and we have several drafting games in our house that we've recommended that I take with me to, to game club. I don't have another game like this. Yeah. The, the constraints, it has that feeling of a lot of those um, exploration games, but where you're thinking about, oh, everything's wide open. You know, oh, I've got these three gardens. Yeah. And then halfway through the game, it's a, oh, man. I All right, I-, I have to start a third garden, and I really hope that I don't get a bunch of high cards. Well, and, and there's that, that thing, too, where it's like you're – Trying to get the numbers in sequential order, whether you're adding to the the high end or the low end, and it's sometimes it's okay. This one fits in perfectly, but it's not the color I want. Yeah, you know, it's like oh great, I've got ten cards. They're perfectly in numerical order. Great number. It's only going to score me four points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending on on how that works. Uh, this game has a very similar feel to Stefan Bendorf's other games. Yeah. The game and Quicks both have this element of when do I push farther ahead and mm. forego? They both have that number thing going on. Yeah. Where it's that's interesting. In in Quicks, you're you're rolling dice and it's like, I want to fill this column up. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna wait around for a nine and a ten. I'm jumping yeah, I'm you know, right right to the eleven. Um and then you roll your nine. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. So uh, it's interesting. There, there are three very different games that have a very similar, I don't want to say core, but a, a, a component of them. They have that same decision point. It's a, yeah, it's the same DNA yeah, yeah. in there in three very different formats. Interesting. One's a, one's a cooperative game, one's a card game, and one's a, a roll and write dice game, uh, which is, is pretty cool. This game works great at two, three, and four players. I played it at every player count. And it has never felt different um, and plays just as well. Yeah, I agree. Two is a little bit different than three and four, certainly, because you're just passing cards back and forth to one person. So, I mean, by the, the second, you you know what is available to you a yeah. little bit sooner. There, there's a little yeah, after bit the less. second turn, there is no hidden there, information. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I agree. It still plays great at two. My, this is a game that my wife and I will play. Um, with, with two players, I only have two uh, notes of caution, you know, nitpicks or whatever we want to say. One is extremely worldly, but I, I think people should know. Um, we keep this box closed with a hair tie. I've got the same thing. The box the, is too small. The, the, just point blank, yeah. We're not just talking about lift, which is a gamer term where you, there's a little too much stuff in the box. No, the box is actually too small. You yeah. you cannot close the box. So you yeah. just have to know that. Um, we we use a hair tie. And then the, the second thing, one of my kiddos who absolutely loves Lost Cities does not care for Oanami, and I think it's just because of the type of competition that hmm. is in this game. And and I I you know we we do play But they like Lost Cities. They love Lost Cities. Which to me seems more cutthroat. That's what I'm saying, but it's that two player nature. Um so just keeping that in mind, you know, th- this is one of my favorite games. I don't know if it lands in a top 10, top 20, top 30. I absolutely love Ohanami, but I did want to let our listeners know 
that um, there is a little bit of a lack of control in this game with how the cards come out, and it's going to bite back a little bit. I don't think it's in a mean or bad way. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you have an 11 to 12 to 13-year-old who, who has played a lot of games, I'm not... I, I just wanted to put that out to our listeners. And that might be more of a gamer thing because every adult that we've ever played this game with has loved it. I have yeah. not had an experience of, oh, no, I don't want to play Onami, only with my teenage kiddo. And that's with a lot of games in my collection, yeah. especially if I whoop up on them too bad. So, <laughs> Like Happy City. Like the poor chap that played Happy hey, City with he, you. He's coming back to the table. Um, <laughs> I think this is a great game. Uh, relaxing family game night. Yeah. Um, I think it's great for killing time in a classroom. And I think it's... <laughs> Gosh, Doc, just go ahead and say at, it. What do you mean? <laughs> if you're bored. If you're bored no, in a classroom, the, no, this is end, better I'm, than any worksheet I'm, I'm you're doing. I'm talking at the end of class oh, or oh. the filler type of thing. Yeah. It's like you have a reading yeah. you have a reading assignment and people get done or whatever. Yeah. They can sit down in a corner and play this. It's going to be quiet. And it's certainly quiet enough for a library setting. Um, How about in the doldrums of winter too? That honestly, the last yeah. two winters, you know, in Wisconsin here, it gets cold, folks. In February, <laughs> no fun. And this is a nice little game to get some flowers out on the table. There really is a visual uh, appealing nature to. I'd to like it. to make a formal petition to move Christmas to February, so it makes all <laughs> the snow up into it a little mm. bit more enjoyable because it's like we barely get snow before Christmas and then we've got three months of hot garbage with nothing to, <laughs> to sit, you know, nothing to be excited for. Um, Valentine's Day does not, you know, I don't mm. get into that spirit. So, sounds like a, a gamer problem. Um, Michael and I believe that games we recommend provide unique opportunities for skill development and we want to share some of the skills we think can develop in this week's game. Uh, what do you got, Michael? Well, my first skill, I was just grabbing the definitions, is problem solving. And this game is just a series of problems. Um, while I struggle for that definition with my new setup, which I thought would be more efficient and is proving me wrong, uh, problem solving is a game that rewards players for finding solutions to simpler, complex problems. You know, we, we talked about the game, we talked about how it works, but I think one of the pieces that I really enjoy about the game is having those outs build in, right? So if I get one garden where I, I have some low cards that I can slot in and another garden where I'm in that 90s and working my way towards 120, ultimately, even if that's a strategy that I choose, there's going to be other problems that, mm -hmm. that pop up throughout the game. So that, that's the first skill that I think is in abundance. How about you? I've got Observation, a game that rewards careful watching of details and behaviors in order to understand and arrive at a judgment. Uh, there's a part of this is, is paying attention to what, where your other, your opponent's gardens are at um, and, and maybe taking a card that is um, going to be good for them. And sometimes it, there's no cards that you can take. Yeah. And you're going to take one that's going to help them and just throw it away. Yeah. Um, so there's that level. And then there's also, you know, when you're talking about a, a two-player and even the four, uh, you're going to see that hand of cards again. So paying attention to what is in there and what might be coming back around to you is just as important as paying attention to your opponents is kind of having right. a little bit. I'm not saying you have to remember every card, but just that I being aware of, okay, there are 
no more blue cards well, coming or no more gray cards and just more general type of ideas of like, oh, there's a lot of low cards in this hand yeah, type of thing. And that's where I have risk management, a game in which yep. players must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risk. You talked about it when you were describing the game. It's not always about getting the number sequence in perfect order. It's about collecting the specific types of, I didn't want to call them rock, flowers, the specific types of, yeah, there's, of objects. There, yeah, there's like water, rocks, rock, yeah. plants, and, and the cherry trees, I think. Yeah, and knowing how that stacks up. And just being able to make that evaluation in action, it, it, that is a skill that gets developed by adults. And if yeah. it's getting developed by adults, it will also get developed by kiddos in the game. Yeah, and I, I've got that as well. I also have decision-making, a game that allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. Um, that that concept of, all right, I'm looking at a, an entire hand of low numbers and one high number. Yep. I should probably take the high number if I can make it work. Or, you know, I'm looking at a whole hand of blue and there's one gray. It's like, so determining what's valuable on each hand, because if the rest of them are all blue, that by the time it gets back to you, you're going to see those blue cards again. Right. Um, so just that and, and even the, I've, I've got one last one that I threw on there because it's kind of hard to talk about the risk management and the decision making without talking about tactical thinking. Okay. And where you want to pivot and when, you know, when, mm -hmm. where you need to. And that, that idea of like, oh, I'm working on one garden. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll put this in that one. And, uh, you know, kind of capitalizing on the opportunities when they present themselves to you. And, and tactical thinking is a, a game that challenges players to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. And I'm going to jump into that skill in just a minute. My last one is spatial perception, a game that strengthens a player's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. I can recall one game very clearly where I was not tactical where I got extremely rigid. I had three gardens out right away, and I, I went in there thinking if it's – I can't remember what it was, if it was plus 15 or plus 20, but I will just discard it. I'm only going to add based on the numbers, and I really approached it like a math problem, and I got blown out. <laughs> it, it was – and we keep the scores at home. I should have brought them with – but it was one of my worst games ever because I wasn't tactical. Yeah. You, and I wasn't looking at the I didn't have the spatial awareness to understand that, you know, it's okay to be off by twenty here because you still need to be able to build up yeah. one one to one hundred and twenty, that's that's a large range. Yeah. And so I completely agree with tactical thinking that if you're not tactical in this game, you're going to get whooped. Well, and that depends too on the on the player count. If you're playing a full, um, this is a four player game. If you're playing a yeah. full four player game, you will see every card in the game. Yeah. If you're playing with two, you're going to see half of half them. of them. Yeah. You know, so that makes a difference too as far as how long you want to hold out and what. You know, because there is a level of if you are playing with four players, you know you're going to see every card, and you know what's already out on the table. You can then there is a level of um, this, this is also this card's not even available. Sometimes it, yeah. I I catch myself where it's like I'm waiting for the fifty seven. I'm like, you idiot! It's over there. Yeah, like somebody already played the fifty seven, and here I am. Thinking but, I'm going to get that. But and the pacing of the game doesn't allow you to look at what everybody is doing every single turn. The game moves pretty quickly. 
Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's, I think those are opportunities in there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. you, you, you do have opportunities to look around. And like I said, there have been times where I'm like, oh, why am I, why am I waiting for these two cards? They've right. already, they're gone, you know? And I, I just passed the one that was the, the, actually the next available card that I actually could have taken, you know? Yeah. Complete tangent here, but you know how there's a waterproof spot it? I really yeah. wish Pandasaurus would make a waterproof Ohanami. This would be a great game on the beach or near the pool, just chilling. <laughs> just as long as what? it comes in a bigger box. I'm talking huge box. I want it to be like the Everdell complete collection box of Ohanami, just 120 waterproof cards in there. Well, and the... Wouldn't that be the, awesome? It's the size of those paddles that you get at swim lessons. The stone, the stone cards are made of stone. Mm. The water cards are made of water. <laughs> Uh, that's too far all right okay so that is our recommended game of the week thank you stefan bendorf thank you pandasaurus a great, great one great game 2019 that is ohanami let's move on to the school of gaming the school of gaming in the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about expansions. I didn't write down the whole thing. What is it? What's the topic? And budgets. And budgets. All right. Um, so, and we've talked about this a little bit yeah. uh, in some of our opening segments briefly. And I, you know, I, I think we had said at one point we kind of need to blow this up into a bigger conversation of just expansions in general right um because i i think it's is that what we're doing right now doug and that's what we're doing I right now i like it um for being in this hobby for over 10 years i have bought a lot of expansions and trying to learn and get better at consumption what what you're buying what yeah. you're actually using and i'm thinking that i am about 50 50 if I'm being honest, that there are expansions I have purchased that I don't need. Yeah. Need or have played? Either. Okay. So uh, how is your track record for expansions? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I love them. I am a completionist. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I do have a, a, a note here. Thoughts on being a completionist <laughs> yes. to close out the segment. but Well, we can come back to that at the end of the segment. I, I, I'll put it this way. If I play a game and I really enjoy the game... All right, let me take a step back. I am past the phase of where I have to own every single game. I, I think I every cross, ex game or every expansion. Every game. Okay. I think I crossed that Rubicon <laughs> some point in time in the last six months, where I just realized I'm not going to play every game, so I'm not going to be able to own every game, and that's, that's ridiculous. That's okay. So now I'm at the point where today in real time november 11th ish 2022 ish if i really like the game i'm going to look into the expansion and i'm going to see what other people are saying about it and then the next part of the equation is but how much have i even played that base game in the last one to three years like yeah. to, to warrant that expansion and then the other side of my brain where i go to is if it adds a solo component or something awesome then i kind of do want it so it, it it's it's layered man there's, see there's... i i have narrowed down that i think there are two types of expansions only yes 
uh, not throwing in the the yeah the solo would be would be another it would fit into one of mine so my two categories and i i have come to realize that there are only one of these categories that i care for um the first time is the is one that is more characters more abilities more of what already comes in the game okay so if it's extra powers so like marvel united the box two through 12 yes <laughs> or um something like um what was i think of like uh legendary marvel legendary the, yeah. the deck building one it's like okay these are new characters they're new things sure the second one is what i call like module expansions yeah and these are ones that are adding different elements to the gameplay there's extra rules there's either an extra sideboard or something like that and i have found that i rarely i have some but i rarely ever play modular expansions because it's another layer of teaching and you have to have already played that game you either need to be playing a game on a regular basis and or playing with people that have played that game now, Doug, repeatedly. You're, you're one of the most honest people I've ever met. So I'm I'm not challenging your honesty. I would certainly not call you a liar. Those are fighting words. <laughs> but I tell you what, I can't tell you the number of times I've played a game with you for the first time, and then you tell me, yeah, and that's the expansion that we just played with too. And I say, oh, really? <laughs> and I would I would argue that most of those are character or okay slight the the character expansions so you're not adding in the module expansions you are adding in the character abilities and power expansions is that it, what you're talking yes. about so it's like i don't have a, like the lost ruins of arnak yeah that is adding a character to the gameplay but for the most part is not changing the entire gameplay or adding right. a whole extra sideboard or whatever extra like, leader in there i feel like you can throw that in and be off running well, let's just pretend that my ma's listening to us for the second time ever. So let's okay. tell people what an expansion is. Give us the Kotechiism. Go. <laughs> so, so expansion would be you have a base game, such as Ticket to Ride. And an expansion would be usually they're, they're applied to very popular games. And they're trying to sell people that already have the game something extra yeah an and additional I'll, game to go with the base game yeah is how and it's some, marketed yeah it. or sometimes it's a it's a scenario where the original design has too much stuff that they strip some of it out and save it back as an expansion yeah to enhance the game later but that they felt that the game was more streamlined without some of this extra stuff sure that's um, great great definition so yeah and for ticket to ride for example it might be an, a, a new map you know, that's got different yeah. things. But like games like Mansions of Madness, where it's like, I like those expansions because I can add them in without people noticing that I'm adding them in. And you have 20 characters to pick from instead of the five that come in the base game or something along those lines. So it's like, I really value those expansions. And I found the ones that require extra setup, repeated plays, you know, that you have to really be familiar with the game, they just don't hit the table for me. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that those are bad. And I think on a budgetary standpoint is if you're the type of gamer, because not every gamer is like how you and I consume games. Yeah. If you are wearing out your copy of Ticket to Ride and you still love Ticket to Ride, 
by all means, get an expansion yeah, for it. It's absolutely. A, it's a great way to exp- extend the game. A lot of times the expansions are, you know, less than the base game and you're adding more to something that you already love. But if you get to that completionist route, I challenge you is like, are you actually playing those games? Yeah. Um, I, I have trouble adding modules in because they take extra time to teach on top of sometimes complicated games as they are and you're throwing another element in there and it just sometimes just seems like it's not worth the hassle and okay. I just don't end up getting them out of the box. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm at a I'm at a slightly different space for my own personal collection with expansion. I like your criteria here. I like the more characters, abilities, powers, and the modules expansions because I think that's more levels is how I see that. You know, if we take a video game comparison where, you know, additional levels into the game, uh, uh, here's a, a world eight instead of a world seven, um, that that's where I see the modules. I have played a few games solo over the last few months where I get to the end of the game and I want more. Like I'm at the bottom of a Ben and Jerry's carton where it's just like more, more, more. I want more. Um, and that's where I can see the value of, of expansions. I am extremely wary to run out and purchase them if I haven't played the game, though. Oh, that, sure. That's, that's well, my... And my, I would argue that like a solo expansion is falls under the module expansion However, you don't, you are your only barrier to entry. Yeah. You know, so it's easy for you to get over the hurdle, especially if you're playing the game repeatedly. Let me give an example. Yeah. The Guild of Merchant Explorers is a game that we played over here and did a little uh, preview mini review. And then I, I got a copy and I played solo for a week straight and I got to the end. There are four maps in the base game, right? And I got to the end and I just wanted more maps. And there's this little expansion where there's two additional maps and it was more than what the base game was. I was like, I'm not waiting for that. I'll wait. But that I think falling in love with a game and the systems and learning the systems and then wanting more of that game, that that's that's great for a lot of people. Um, but I think in the hobby and the more that I listen to other podcasts and shows, there is a general disdain almost with expansion sometimes that I just I just don't don't have. I think it I think it comes from a uh, there's this thought process that goes through your head, which is I love this game. Of course, I would love I want an expansion for it. And then I think what happens to a lot of gamers is that. It doesn't if, get played. Yeah, if they're yeah, honest, honest with themselves, yeah, yeah. that they're not playing that. I'm not playing that expansion. Um, and that's where it starts to add up, where it's just like, I mean, I think I have one of the expansions for Tiny Towns. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, I don't play it. Yeah. Like, because usually I'm playing with new people or there's so much stuff in the, the base, base box that I'm not, yeah. I'm not getting to it. And that's where it... it it's almost the disdain in my own poor choices that I got hyped up on it and that's happened to me repeatedly. Interesting. And I can't think of there is one game that is very specific that I cannot recall right now where it's like every time I take it out of the box I'm like, 
why do I have this expansion? I've never played it. I'm never going to play it because I'm not playing it enough to to get to it. And I can't think of what it is, but I, I've got a couple of them. Well, when you wake up in the middle of the night, just jump in here and and, and get into the segment and get it before we post the podcast. That, that won't happen. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're not going to lose sleep, huh? You know, but so I, I'm, I'm 100% on board with you that it's like, if... I don't think they're inherently bad. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about the budget end is just take a little bit more time and think about what you're getting and why you're getting it and not that kind of completionist or the, like a, that knee-jerk reaction of like, I love that, so I, yeah. of course I must love the expansion. Well, and from a space standpoint, sometimes it's not just about an expansion to a base game. Sometimes it is the second and third and fourth version of the same game. Yeah. So whether it's Villainous, Clank, Chronicles of Crime, all three of those series have amazing different versions. You know what? Do I really need three versions of Clank? Do I really need five versions of Villainous? Is Chronicles of Crime 1400 good enough? Guess what? It's been on my shelf for over a year, still in the shrink. So, yeah, I guess I don't need to run out and give more money to Lucky Duck and get five more versions of that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's where I fall into with expansion sometimes as well. It's like the number of versions of the same game. Sure. And that completionist standpoint. With a different um, coat of paint. Yeah, that's the game that I have to be very careful uh, that, that to, to play. In. And I, I view those the same. I view a, a different version of the same game and, and an expansion through the same lens. Not that mm. it's good or bad, but from a, a budget and collection standpoint. Well, um, and I do know that there are some things like Villainous where it's like I get them or a lot of them, and I, am, I have reconciled it with myself that's like that is more collection mm. than it is functional. Yeah. Well, it's you nothing know, wrong with looking awesome on a shelf. You know, there's some yeah. of those type of things too. And it's like, there's not, there's nothing bad with that. I mean, certainly people have a whole bunch of, like, my mom had a collection of precious moment statuettes oh, yeah. growing up, still has them. It's like, it's not like she can play with them. You know, it's like they're- That you know of. Well, I mean, I did throw a football into one of them one time and then- uh I should probably share this story right now. It'll be good father. My brother and I were playing football in the house and I threw- a respectable pass that he bungled. He just clearly bungled it, flew off his hands. Did he end up playing for the Chicago Bears? He did not. Okay. <laughs> he could have. Could right now. Yeah, he Signed could have for a 10-day right contract. So it shatters oh, a couple of no. precious moments. <laughs> so I did the reasonable thing. I immediately hit, my parents were out like grocery shopping. I did the reasonable thing. I immediately hid under my bed. My brother went outside and waited for them to get home. And blamed you for throwing a, no, a no. laser? <laughs> uh, and so we got we got in trouble. But what my dad ended up doing, and I had to have this in my bedroom for like three years, was he glued the little drummer boy back together <laughs> and it had to sit in my room with like the piece of porcelain missing out of his head that they couldn't find. Um, so don't play football in the house, kids. Uh, but my point being, that's a collection that you're not playing with. So the idea of a board game sitting on the shelf, it's not yeah. really that much different, is it? Like yeah. a collection is a collection. So there's there's that level of the hobby too that I'm not 
opposed to, right. or, or it's like, oh, that's you must play every game that you have. Well, and and to kind of wrap up the segment, we might go on for another fifteen minutes. <laughs> it's a, it's our show, but from a game schooling standpoint, I think you touched on a couple of very key points. Expansions typically add more rules and add more stuff. So just be conscious of that if you are teaching family games to people who may just be joining the table or if you're trying to get people into the new gamer enthusiasm mode and you're trying to really bring them into the hobby, maybe don't start with five different modules and yeah. 18 different people that all have exception rules. So Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a it's a great great thing to to keep in mind and hopefully that helps you. I think that's a a great um great idea with with the game schooling is is not to bog that down and and certainly being aware that there are things like adding a new monster to a king of tokyo game is not going to break oh that's fun break that, the game that's just you know, a good it's time just a right different there. character so <laughs> hopefully that gives you some some ideas on expansions and budgets and where you might be um, but let's move on to the the high five If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we reveal our personal high five games from the op. This was a tough list, Doug. To narrow down? Yes. You're telling me from the op, uh, formerly known as USAopoly, they are now known as the op. Um, yeah. And I had a hard time with this list as well. And I have a one, two, three, three honorable mentions. Oh, good, good. Well... Jacob at the app was very good to us and sent us a, a big stack of games to review, and a number of those actually made my list. You know, and I think um, that that's a good thing. So, and I have, I thought I thought there was a until I uh, realized that there was another game on on my list. I thought I'm going to have all cooperative games on my oh, list. Oh, interesting! But that is not the case. I do not based have on all some, cooperative. Based on some juggling. So, what is your number five, Michael? Number five for me is Hughes and. Cues designer is Scott Brady. The year is 2020. I don't know why you're chuckling. I at would me not have expected there. this to be on. It is currently ranked your list 2,544 overall. Anything over the 2,500 mark, I call that a hidden gem. And it's a 154th party game. Hughes and Cues is three to 10 players, which I love. 30 minutes, ages eight plus. I'd go a little bit older on that, but I could, could see eight settling in. 1.16 out of five. There are colors on a board, a lot of colors with a coordinate, and you have to give a one-word clue and people guess it. So if I'm the person giving the clue, I have like four different coordinates that I can choose from. And if, if A14 looks like a, a red apple to me, I can't say red because red is a primary color. So the one word that I would say is apple. And hopefully people are like, oh, man, well, we know that Michael's colorblind is crazy, so we better try to get closer to the red. But then somebody else might think, eh, I think he's talking Granny Smith apple and put it right over on the green. And then there's this nice little, we just call it the picket fence in our house, that, that sets over the actual color. And anyone around there gets some points and most points. Win. It's just, yeah. it's a blast. It, 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 I've not had a bad experience with this game. 
Interesting. And I, you, interesting because I can't tell what about 30% of the colors yes. are. I know, but we love it. It's fun. My only complaint with this game, Doug. Is it has colors. <laughs> it lives in my wife's classroom during the school year. Sure. So I see it from about the second week of June until the second <laughs> week in August. But that's my number five, Hughes and Cues. Uh, Scott Brady is the designer on that. All right. My number five, I, I'm going to make a wild guess is going to be higher on your list. Uh, and that is Marvel Dice Throne, published in 2022 by Gavin Brown, Nate Chatelier, Manny Tremblay. Two to six players, 20 to 40 minutes, 2.1. Um, Did you want to apologize to Nate for just completely butchering his name or are what we is moving it? on? I don't know, but it's not that. Why not? <laughs> okay. Keep going. Is Sorry. it Chatelier? <laughs> you got it. I, I'm going with I'm the just... French route. Chatelier. Um Eight plus Marvel Dice Throne uh, combines two of my favorite things: Dice Throne and Marvel. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I would like it. It is a uh, and this uh, the rest of my games are uh, all but one are kind of originals. This is a a reskin as it as it were. But uh, Dice Throne is just a great dice chucking head to head battle, uh, which you're trying to. It's got elements of Yahtzee and power upgrades and just a, a phenomenal game that was kind of our COVID game. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's my number five, Marvel Dice Throne. Awesome. Number four for me was actually a birthday present for one of my kiddos, and that is Tapple, episode 85's recommended game of the week. If you want to hear more about Tapple, we talk about it in depth. Currently ranked at 3,859 overall in the 247th party game. Initially came out in 2012. There aren't any designer credits on this one. Uh, we should maybe throw our names in, huh? Mm, yeah, and, I haven't had that in this hand in that one. This hidden gem plays two to ten players, and uh, at board game club this past week that I was at, when I was playing Happy City at the table behind me was Tapple, and it got loud and rowdy, and that timer was tick 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 tick, and there were a lot of kiddos playing. I should have checked, but it was more than five. There were mm. people all around the table. Thirty minutes, I think, is actually a little high. Tapple in our house seems to wrap up in 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe that's just how we play. Very simple game, complexity of 1.04 out of 5. 8 plus, I think you can go even younger, especially if you're pairing up kiddos with you. And in Tapple, um, you know, there's a word that comes out, a keyword. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. And then on my turn, I have to say uh, a word and push the button down with the first letter of that word. So if if the the topic is pizza and I say pepperoni and hit the timer, then Doug would say dough d d and hit the timer and we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now if if he wanted to, if he threw out a word that didn't make absolutely any sense, like if he threw out horrible, we can all challenge that and throw Doug out of there, and the last person standing gets a card. Just in really a lot of fun. Um, and we talked about that for about 20 minutes in, uh, episode 85 Tapple. All right. That's a, that's a good one. It was on my honorable mentions. Good. Um, my number four is Toy Story Obstacles and Adventures. Haven't played this one yet. Publisher in 2019. Uh, Who's the publisher? I think it's the op. Okay. Could be. Um, the designer though, Prospero Hall and Cami Mandel. Two to five players, 45 to 90 minutes, 1.88 on the complexity and ages eight and up. 
Uh, Toy Story Obstacles and Adventures is a deck building game. It's based on another game that may show up later on my list. Um, And it is a cooperative deck building game in which you are essentially playing through the four movies and... Um, Even Toy Story 3? That one's kind of scary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, It does a really good job, I think, of the... Uh, the way that they have these, I'm trying to think of what they're called now off the top the, of my head. The decks, the modules. Uh, no, the, the, the bad guys, like kind mm. of the villains, and, and they all have um, things that they're doing against you. Like maybe you, you can't draw extra cards this turn yeah. or until they're defeated or, um, you know, you you need to play one extra money in order to buy um, cards this round and it's so it's a classic deck building game but it i played it with with my daughter she was probably eight at the time so that eight thing works out well and it does a really good job this one and the 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 harry potter one that's higher on my list that this is based on do a really good job of introducing deck building because they have tokens so usually in deck building there's uh deck building games there's currency and kind of an attack value and so you're using your attack to, to get rid of villains. You're using your currency to buy new cards. And this one comes with tokens for that. So as kids and younger players are playing, they can acquire those tokens and have them as a physical yeah. thing where once you get inva- advanced, you're like, oh, I have five right. and I'm going to buy this card and be boop. But with my daughter, it's really great to be like, okay, so now you have five money. Where do you want to spend that? Yeah. And you have five attack. Where are you going to put those? That's an awesome system, um, isn't it? Yeah. And the Toy Story one cleaned up a little bit of some of the stuff that's that's in the Harry Potter one. So that's my number four, Toy, four, toy, toy, four toy Story Obstacles and Adventures. Awesome. Easy for me to say. Well, that game that you <laughs> said would be higher on your list we also talked about all the way back in episode nine as our recommended game of the week, and that is Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. That's number three on my list. Currently ranked at 332 overall designers are Forrest Prusen Creative, Cami Mendel, and Andrew Wolf. It's a deck builder in which you are playing. It's set in the Harry Potter movie universe, and each game is from whatever number movie that is. Um, which also correlates to the book. So, you know, you're going to play the Sorcerer's Stone in the first one, and you've got young Harry and young Ron and young yep. Hermione, and you're, the villains are all the same villains from from the book, and, well, the movie, and they have the, the movie art mostly. Just an outstanding game. We haven't even finished it yet in our house because we kind of moved on to other games. I don't know if we stalled out after the third or the fourth, but I have a few other friends who have this game that really enjoy it that are Harry Potter aficionados. And um, it does play, you know, the Board Game Geek has it at eight plus in the community. And uh, I, I think. You know, that's about right. And it's two to four players, 30 to 60 minutes. The weight is 2.08 out of five. It, it's just an outstanding little game. Yep. It's fun to be able to, you know, take out Draco Malfoy. And it's also fun to see the characters age up as you open up new new cards. Yeah, that is a great game. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the titles of my games, and I, I was fumbling over the Toy Story one. And I realized that every one of my games is like the longest title in the world. With there are a lot of semicolons in the op game titles, even in my and colons, 
yeah, and uh, colons, yeah. Even in my uh, honorable mentions, there are huge <laughs> long titles. So I think that's kind of interesting. My number three is Thanos Rising, mm. colon, Adventures, <laughs> Infinity War. <laughs> uh, published in 2018. The designer is Andrew Wolf. Two to four players, 60 to 90 minutes. That's a fun one. 1.98 out of five. And the age is 10 plus or 8 plus, if you believe BGG. Thanos Rising is a dice game in which you are uh, rolling dice to match symbols to defeat villains. So, uh, But you have to assign one dice every turn. You can't skip, so you roll your dice. Like, all right, I'm going to put that one on there. You're trying to get uh, combinations in order to either recruit more heroes onto your team or defeat villains. And you need to defeat, I think, six villains. Um, but as you add new heroes to your team, sometimes they give you more dice to roll. They allow you to manipulate your dice. They give you extra abilities um, that you otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, there's also a Harry Potter version of this that plays almost identical. If you yeah. are overseas, there's a Star Wars version of this. Really? That's not available in the U.S. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. The Dark dark Side Rising. It's a reason for you to go to Essen, huh? Yeah, thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I prefer the, the, uh, the Marvel one over the Harry Potter one. Um, because I think the dice in the Harry Potter one are a little harder to read yeah, the, from across the table. So that's the only thing. If that had different dice, it may have had a chance to be on here higher. But Can I jump in on, on yeah. your game here? That game builds up awesomely. Yes. There is a great tension, and the villain seems to get stronger as the game rolls on as well sometimes that you're yep. trying to take down. So that, that's a really good one. Yeah. That's my number three, Thanos Rising, Avengers, <clears throat> Infinity War. Number two is not readily available. So before you go out there and spend a kajillion dollars, just set a little Google alert or a Facebook marketplace alert. And when a deal pops up, jump in with 10 toes and go get it. That's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, colon. A gemstone mining game, and this is currently ranked at 5,980 overall, so the folks on BGG don't know what they're talking about. It actually re-implemented a game called Quartz. Uh, 2018, the designers are Sergio Haliban and Andre Zatz. Three to seven players. You do need three players to play. Uh, 45 to 60 minutes, 1.2 out of 5 and 8 plus. Big thank you to Doug and Katie Kotecki for bringing this game into my life. And in Snow White uh, and the Seven Dwarfs, a gemstone mining game, <laughs> uh, you are mining. You're trying to get different combinations of gems. And it, it's not an expansion where you have the character, but is that, that in the base game? You know, or the the, the when the you, cards, the cards, cards are always in there, or is yeah, that, it's a, yeah. there's a uh, it's almost like a family variant. Family so variant. If you, okay, if you want it to be a little bit Super more simple. mean and cutthroat, you add the cards in. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, we always play with the cards. <laughs> if you want it to be more casual and simple, yeah, you don't use the cards. And, and funny thing, you know, my my oldest child, she does not the the one that I said didn't like Ohanami because of quiet competitiveness. 
the the out loud I am a, a dwarf going to try to just take you out absolutely loves this game <laughs> Snow White and there there is a a family meanness that that's fun yeah. I, I I know I'm not saying it right but um, you're trying to get those combinations of gems you're trying to take them back with you without busting you can yeah. you can bust and bad things can happen so that's that's one that, boy, I, I'd love to be able to recommend it, but good luck finding that, yeah. right? Yep. All right, my number two is Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, published in 2016. Michael already gave you the details. Um, this the, the thing I wanted to add that, that Michael didn't talk about, and it's, it's also in the Toy Story one, is this has, uh, it's not a legacy, but a campaign system in which as you go through each movie, you are unlocking a new box that has new stuff, new components, new cards. Um, Harry and Hermione and Ron are going to get older as the game goes on, and it slowly ramps up the complexity with the gamer. So you start out, it's very simple. Uh, all your characters are the same. And eventually you're going to get to where Harry and Ron, they have different abilities. Yeah. So the person playing Harry has a different ability than the person playing Ron. Um, and adding that complexity as you go is just a great, it's like the perfect learning deck building game. And I think we've talked about that uh, when we talked about it as a, as a recommended game. And so the Toy Story one is the, you know, if you want to go even younger with it. Yeah. And then the Harry Potter one is, you know, can be played by full-blown adults that are Harry Potter fits. And it's there's like a ton of game in that box, and yep. it's not easy. You will yep. lose. And I think that's what keeps... Yeah. And that's one that has expansions, and those expansions are adding new characters adventures. i love the expansions you know it's you finish those seven boxes in the base game mm -hmm. and now you've got two or three new boxes to go through so mm -hmm. those are expansions or that they add a fifth good. player yeah. you know there's the Ginny weasley one that adds yeah. adds player number five which yep. is great all right, awesome. what do you got, number one? I've number, got no idea where you're going. Number one, you mentioned, yeah, you do. It's Marvel Dice Throne. Oh, there you yeah. go. All right. And I, Doug gave the stats a little bit earlier. The only thing that I want to add in, I do believe this game is best at two. Um, I am predicting down the road, I don't know this for sure, but I'm predicting there will eventually be a Marvel uh, Dice Throne Adventures. But right now, in a player versus player format, it's great at two. It's 20 minutes. You can be done. Ages eight plus. In our house, uh, there are certain designers that are only known by by first name or by last name. And Gavin, Nate, and Manny. Uh, you know, Manny Tremblay's art is just fantastic. And he has design credit on this as well. Um, but what I want to just highlight when you play Marvel Dice Throne, it is so thematically spot on to the characters. One of the first games that Josie and I played, she was Thor, I was Dr. Stephen Strange. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to really ramp up my character. And Dor Thor just beat the living, you know, what can we say on a family-friendly podcast out of me. I mean, it was a just straight beat down it was the fastest game we ever played where i couldn't get the cards out i couldn't get the dice roll and so then we turned around right away the next day and which character do you think i took to take on thor I took loki and loki was the perfect trickster figure for thor 
and we, we talked about it a lot. And uh, Scarlet Witch is another one whose character is just so spot on mm. and the cards are different and, and your abilities. Um, we have talked about this game on and off because I think Doug and I both have a, a mutual love for Dice Throne, all things Dice Throne. Uh, except their t-shirts are a little overpriced. So if you can bring them down, then I can get a t-shirt in my budget. I'd love to be the shadow thief. Um, <laughs> but but being able to upgrade your abilities that you're able to do uh, and making those decisions or should I sell off the card to get the, the, the extra CP it's called in the game, just a fantastic little game that continues to get a lot of play uh, in my house. And that's Marvel Dice Throne. So I'm glad the app has that. All right. My number one, Michael already mentioned Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, colon, a gemstone mining game. <laughs> this is a game that it has hit every time that I've played it. Oh, yeah. I've never had a game, and it's almost every time I play it, there is hooting and hollering around the table. People are laughing. People are are making comments. Like, my wife always, like, goes hardcore in. She's like... I'm going to, she always has, once a game, she has one where she just stupid lucky going just on and on and she keeps drawing gems out. She's not busting. And it's like, seriously, honey, you have 80 points. You need to stop right now. And she won't stop. She'll just keep, and then she busts. And then it's like, oh, I'm like, I don't know what your end game was, but we all had fun watching it. Yeah. Um, have you ever played craps? At a casino? No. Me neither, but that must be what it feels like, <laughs> yeah. right? You're just yeah. going to go, go. Everybody's cheering you on until, um, oh, they're out. And I love the, the the extra cards that are in there that give you abilities to steal gems and manipulate and, mm-hmm. and draw more. And I love the gems. They yeah. look like real gems. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's hunting for the, the diamond. There's two diamonds in there, and it's just an awesome game. I feel... Only a little bit guilty talking about it, but because it's so good, I can't help myself. Yeah, and um, let's just tell people, I mean, it's out of print. The yeah. app more than likely is not going to be making more copies of this game. So whether you, you are a flea market, garage sale, Facebook marketplace, Noble Night, whatever your, your second-hand market is to get games, add this to your list because it, it truly is a hidden gem. Yeah, so that is my number one, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a gemstone mining game. Awesome. Did you have any other honorable mentions you I wanted to talk about? I have two. One, I feel obligated to put on the list. It's definitely not on mine, but in my house, in my family, and that's Spot It. Mm. And then another one is Fantastic Beast, Perilous Pursuit. This one almost made the cut. I just haven't gotten to the table as much as some of the others sure. more recently. Um, but that's also you know from the, the wizarding world and... You're trying to get the right dice combinations to come up as you, uh, you know, co- collect the Fantastic Beasts. And, and are you collecting the beasts or are you taking out the villains? Uh, you are trying to recapture the beasts. Recapture the beasts. Get yeah. them back in yeah, the suitcase. back in the suitcase, yeah. I, it's just a fun, fun little game. Yep. The two that I have, in addition to Tapple, is Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle, uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts, the two-player which version. is a two-player yeah. deck-building game. I think it does a really good job as a two, two-player deck-building, which is not easy. That's right. not an easy easy concept to have that head-to-head battle. I think it does it really well. And the other one is a, a recent one, Cuphead, the fast-rolling dice game. I like that game. Um, is, a, is a great real-time speed 
cooperative game. I played both played it with both of my daughters. They both seem to really enjoy it. Uh, that frenetic pace. I'm surprised uh, the uh, Mickey food fight didn't make your honorable I, I mentions. I thought about it. I just didn't know quite where, where to put it. Boy, I, we've been playing it. I, yeah. I think you're going to hear more about it on next week's episode. <laughs> we've been playing a lot of it, and my wife got pulled into the to the fray recently. So, yeah. All right. So those are our high five games from the op. We could have gone top ten pretty easily on tonight's yeah, list. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. And thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and keep game schooling.